Well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians 4. The guys have some Bibles. They're going to make their way to the back. If you need a Bible, then just get their attention. They'll get you one of those Bibles marked for you at 1 Corinthians 4. You can keep that, and please do. As our gift, we want everyone to own a copy of God's Word. The Persian, Greek, and later Roman navies utilized a battleship called the Trireme. It was so named because it had three levels of rowers. One group of rowers was positioned on the deck and then two below. The ships were built to accommodate 170 rowers with roughly equal numbers at each level. Those below the deck couldn't see what was going on outside, so their task required great discipline and skill. The captain would give the signal to a drummer who was on deck, and he would bang the drum so that all the rowers would hear and perform their stroke in tandem. Those positioned underneath the deck were called under-rowers. According to the Greek historian Thucydides, Quote, Corinth was the first place in all of Greece where triremes were built. Now, at the time the book of 1 Corinthians was written, triremes were in use by the Roman army of the day. And Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians, makes reference to them in verse 1 of chapter 4, where he says this. This, then, is how you ought to regard us as servants of Christ and as those entrusted with the mysteries God has revealed. The word that's translated servants is the Greek word used of those who rode beneath the deck. It's a word that literally means under rower. An article on this topic says that there are at least four aspects of under rowers that Paul, who wrote 1 Corinthians, might have had in mind when he painted that word picture. First, the under-rowers were not generally slaves, but they were volunteers because they were citizens of the city-state who considered it a privilege to serve. Second, as a member of an organized team of rowers, they were all on the same footing as one another. Thirdly, they rowed together. If all of the under-rowers were rowing to the beat of different drummers, then the ship would be stranded in the water and would go nowhere. Fourth, the under-rowers were below deck, at least many of them were. And they could not see the captain, nor could they see outside, so they had to trust him to lead them into battle and then finally into port. Well, you can readily see the application of this to the work of the Lord. All believers in the Lord Jesus have what Philippians chapter 3 calls heavenly citizenship, and so we should willingly volunteer for the Lord's service. The work of the Lord is not about position or title. We're all the Lord's servants. So whatever role we're given to play, we gladly do that. And while there is diversity of gifts within the church, as we're going to see in a bit, all of us are to work together to build up the body. And then they were to row by faith, just as we are to walk by faith and not by sight. Today we conclude our three-week mini-series to begin this new year called We Are Resolved. In week one, we laid out our church's vision for the future in our 10-year plan, 
And our resolution two weeks ago was to be resolved to move forward together. That 10-year plan is underway. It has just under eight years to go. A copy of that is available at our information center desk that's out in the lobby. And if you missed that first message two weeks ago, I strongly urge you to listen to it online because it lays the foundation for what we looked at last week and now again today. It provides part of the motivation for what we all need to do so that my urging full involvement today and as I did last week is not a harangue or it's not some legalistic requirement, but rather it's the response of people who want to see the Lord honored and to see his work advance. Now, last week, we saw the two points that are at the top of the outline that's inserted in your program. If you don't have that out as yet, I encourage you to take a look at it. Everybody have that outline? Everybody have the outline? Okay. There are two points up at the top of the outline that we covered last week. They're in gray because we looked at the church being central to God's plan and being comprised of God's people. And our resolution from last week was we are resolved to not only move forward together, but to join together. Today, we're going to make a final important resolution to begin the new year that the Lord has given us. And so let's ask the Lord to help us as we do that. Father, we thank you now for bringing us here and calming our hearts, quieting us so that we can think about you, think about what you've done for us, think about what you are doing in your world. Help us today, Lord, and this year to think about how and why you have left us here. The purpose for which you have your church and have made us a part of it in order to use what you have given for the purpose for which you have given it. I pray as a result of thinking about these important matters that I, that we as your people, would recommit ourselves to the God who gave himself for us, giving ourselves for you. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. First of all, in today's message, we're going to be reminded of the motivation that we should have in order to give ourselves this year and every year, to the work of the Lord. Then we're going to see some actions that we need to take in order to move that forward. And so I say in your outline that the church is not only central to God's plan and comprised of God's people, but it's concerned with God's value. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 that we saw last week, It says this, God's household is the church of the living God, the pillar and the foundation of the truth. Now, friends, the fact that we are the church of the living God should be ample motivation for us to obey and to serve our God. One commentator says of the phrase church of the living God, Paul, who wrote this, further defines the assembly of believers as the church of the living God or the living God's church. The absence of the definite article the with the word church in the original Greek stresses the character of the church. The church, by its very nature, belongs to the living God. The Bible says in Acts chapter 20 and verse 28 that the church of God was truly his because he had, quote, purchased it with his own blood. In Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 14, the church is called, quote, God's own possession to the praise of his glory. 
It's the church in the city of Ephesus where Timothy is pastor that this appellation was first received as church of the living God. And it was especially apropos for Ephesus because the church there was an island of light and a dark sea of pagan worship. And note this, crucial to behaving properly is the knowledge that the assembly of saints is the living God's church in the world of dead idols and that it's mandated and empowered for a divine mission and a divine message. That is, friends, knowing that we have the special and privileged position of being God's people in his church should motivate us to carry out his will and his work. He is worth it. That's why I say in your outline, he's worth at least three things that we're going to look at today. The first is this. He's worth our talent. The Bible says in the aforementioned 1 Corinthians, where 1 Corinthians 4 speaks of these under rowers. In chapter 12, it speaks of the giftedness of all of those who are part of the body of Christ, all of those who are part of the church. And it says to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. The spirit distributes to each one just as he has determined. So God has God, the Holy Spirit has given to each one of God's people the ability to serve him and serve his people in his church. Now, when I say he's worth our talent, and then the next two points say he's worth our, and we'll fill those in. When I say our, it's not really the case that it's our talent or anything else for that matter. None of that is ultimately ours. It's God's, and we manage all of that having been entrusted with what we have by him for his purposes. Now, many of us have heard the sad statistic that in most churches, it's 20% of the people that do 80% of the work. Have you heard that? I've given the illustration in the past of the work of the church being like a football game where there are 11 men on a field who desperately need rest being watched by 50,000 people in the stands who desperately need exercise. The modern-day evangelical church is all too often characterized by professionalism and passivity. It's characterized by professionalism on the part of those who are in, quote, full-time ministry, and then passivity on the part of the so-called laity. The Bible is clear that ministry is the responsibility of every believer, with each of us playing his or her part. That's why the title of this message is Church is a Team Sport, because there are to be no spectators. The Scriptures teach the following principles that are foundational if a church, if our church, is to have every person all the time ministry. Let me give you these two principles of participation. The first is that all members are indeed ministers. The Bible teaches this in a number of places. One of those is Ephesians 4. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Peter said this, each one of you should use whatever gift He has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. Notice this, each one. 
Notice in the passage previous from Ephesians 4, each part does its work. And so the first principle of participation is that all of us are ministers. My dear mother, who is now with the Lord, she's from the South, and the term that she used growing up for a pastor was always minister. And then when I was going into the ministry, she was very proud of that. And she would tell everybody, my son is a minister. But see, the truth is, in Scripture, all of us are ministers. All members are ministers. And secondly, each member minister is uniquely designed by God. The Bible says the body is not made up of one part, but many. And God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and one body. Famously, in Ephesians chapter 2, the Bible says we are God's handiwork. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. That word that's translated handiwork is sometimes translated work of art, craftsmanship. The Greek word underlying it is the word poema. We get our English word poem from it. So that's why it's craftsmanship or work of art. That is you and I, all of us, all of God's people have been uniquely designed by him. With all of the difficulties, all of the even suffering and trials that we are going through, have gone through, God has used all of that, has used our personality, has energized all of that by His Spirit in order for us to use it in His work for His glory. Now, all of that being true, that every member is a minister and every member minister is uniquely designed by God, that being true, and it is, then at the beginning of this year, dear friends, We need to ask ourselves, am I committed to the work of the Lord? Am I using what God has given me for the purpose for which he has given it? Am I actively involved in the work of the Lord or am I a spectator? And so I'm going to give you some statistics about that from our church. Designed to just inform us as to where we are. With regard to this important issue. I'm going to do that again with one of the other points that that we have. Now, I'm going to issue some disclaimers as we go along. But one of them is this. To those of you that are here for the first time, this has been quite a Sunday already. And now here I am going through these statistics. And you just have to take my word for it. Maybe ask somebody during the break. I don't normally do that. We normally go through a book of the Bible. Next week, we're starting a series in the Old Testament book of Habakkuk. These first three Sundays of this year, we are doing this in order to position our church, in order to move forward most efficiently for the Lord. So I asked uh, our community service coordinator to give me some statistics about how many people are involved, actively involved in the work of the Lord in our, our church. No names attached to that, just number. The number is 60% of our membership is active in service in some capacity. Now that used to be, we used to, our church used to boast some years ago of 80% participation. It's now 60%. What the reasons for that are, I don't know. 
One reason, I think, is that that percentage has gone down since we moved into our own facility about five years ago. You say, what would that have to do with anything? Some of you have been around long enough to remember when we used to meet on Sundays and Wednesdays and every time we met for anything in a rented facility. And what that meant every time we met, every Sunday was everything had to be set up. When you walked in, the first time for some of you that you walked into our church, you walked in and people were slinging chairs around and setting them up, stacking them at the end, right? What did that communicate? It communicated immediately when you walked in that there's stuff to do here. Then when you move into your own place, and it kind of looks like you got it together, most Sundays, <laughs> then it's easy to get the idea, hey, they got it, they've, they've got it covered. And so there's not the kind of urgency. But God says all of us are to be ministers, and God says all, he has gifted all of us in order to serve him. Those 60% of our church membership fill 144 different positions within our church. 144. And those 144 don't include everything that we would like to be doing right now. There are vacancies. There could be 184 easily. And actually, it could be much more than that because... Almost all of the 144 positions that are currently taking place require an assistant so that someone else can see how that's done, fill in when that person is not able to be there. So you see that there is something for every single person to do. The 40% who are not serving could be deployed right away. Now, here's another of those disclaimers. We have people in our church who cannot actively serve. People who, for various reasons, because of their life situation, because of their health, all manner of things, are not able to do that. Now, even people who are not able to be here, just even attend, let alone serve, even though those people, and if you fit into that category, every one of you can be on, for example, our prayer team. So it's actually not true that there's anyone in our church who can't serve in some way. So if you believe what we've seen from Scripture about these principles of participation, about the pas- what the passages say that we've displayed on the screen, if you believe that, and you say, you know, I'm not active in the Lord's work, and I need to be, then how do you do that? Well, the paper connection card that is part of the program that you received on the way in. If you tear that off, there's a, there's a box that says, I want to get involved. I want to serve. You check that off. You turn that in at the information center desk. Or you can do that uh, online. You can do that digitally or electronically. And you see the uh, connection card. You can indicate it there. And then we will place you in an area of service. So the church is concerned with God's value. He's worthy, friends, of our talent. Secondly, he's worth our treasure. He's worth our talent and he's worth our treasure. All right, so our treasure. That's money. So here's this pastor and he's now going to talk about money. And if you're a guest, you're thinking, boy, did I pick a great day to show up at community. 
But again, we want to start the year off understanding that if we're going to move toward the what we think are worthy goals that we've laid out in our 10-year plan, and I think all of you agree with that, but if that's going to happen, then as I said the first week when I laid that out to you two weeks ago, we are going to need all hands on deck. And that includes our resources of our talent, but also of our, our treasure. The Bible says this, each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give. Not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So giving what you've decided in your heart to give. What that means is we don't place any percentage on that. The Bible doesn't place any percentage on that in the New Testament. Now, Many of you are familiar with the first part of your Bible, the Old Testament. And there was, in fact, a legal system that had a, a tax, in effect, called a tithe. And there were many tithes. If you add up all of the tithe, tithe means a tenth, 10%. If you add up all of the tithes, it actually came out to 23 and a third percent every year. So if you want to do the Old Testament, we're, we're good with that. But the New Testament does not teach, we're not under the law, number one, and does not teach a particular percentage. Now, many of us have grown up. My dad was a pastor and my dad would talk about the tithe and a tenth being holy to the Lord uh, quoting the Old Testament prophet Malachi. And so we just grew up with that. Many of us have grown up. 10% is, is our giving. Some of you undoubtedly fit into that category of well, as well. But many of you have not grown up in church or you've never heard any of that. And so as you think about giving in the church, you don't even know what a percentage would be. What should I even be shooting for? It's just completely blind. I mean, all you may know is that every Sunday they pass the hat. Pastor says if you're a guest, don't worry about it. But he implies if you're not a guest, then worry about it. <laughs> and so I guess I should worry about it. And so I put something in. But how would I set a percentage? All of us need to be able to calibrate that somehow. And if you have nothing to go on, if you have no benchmark, then it's just completely, completely blind. It's kind of like tipping. Now, when you tip at a restaurant, uh, we know that 15%, 18%, 20%, 30%, but certainly 15% is a minimum. We all know that at a restaurant. Just as a quick aside, we all know that, right? And so, Christian people, when you go out to a restaurant this afternoon, you leave at least that. When they see you pray before your meal... That, that waitress is going to know that you claim to be a Christian. Don't be cheap on the tip. Don't leave them a track. <laughs> Don't leave them a track that looks like a million dollar bill. <laughs> you want a tip? Here's one. Trust Jesus. You know. And on a very serious note, we have people who have been waitresses in our church who could tell you this. I've heard this for years. Sunday afternoons are the day that waiters and waitresses dread most. Christian people can be very demanding and extremely cheap. And that's not a good testimony. So we know the, we know the percentages for something like that. Now, recently I was told that you're supposed to tip when you leave a hotel room. I did not know that. I've been in hotel rooms many, many times over the years. I have never left a tip on the bed or on the nightstand because I didn't know that. So 
knowing matters so that we can calibrate what it is that we do. Some years ago, we had a man in our church. He's no longer here. But I had given a statistic then that said the average giving per person, per year, nationwide, whatever denomination, average giving is this, $1,000 per person per year. So that would mean if that average holds in a family of four, that average would be about $4,000 in a year. And this man came up to me afterwards, and he was just incredulous. He said, that cannot be right. That absolutely, $1,000 per person cannot be right. Now, I didn't know if he thought that was too high or too little. But during the course of the conversation, it became clear that he thought that was astronomically high. Now, mind you, this was a single man who owned his own business. Who, in his mind, giving $1,000 a year was an astronomical amount. But you see, he had no way to calibrate that, to have a benchmark for that. So I asked our finance people for some numbers. Again, no names. Most of you know that it's a policy at our church that I do not have access to the money at our church. I don't see who gives the money. In 17 years of our church's existence, I have never seen that. I only know one person's giving in the entire church, and that's my own. That's our policy. So I don't ask for names. If I had ever asked for a name of the finance team to tell me how much someone gives, they would refuse. <laughs> and they ought to. And I never have and I never will. I ask for numbers, though. The family units in our church and then just numbers next to, to those. The median giving, not per person now, but per family, uh, in 2018, median. You know what median is as opposed to average. So I throw out the highest, we throw out the lowest, and we find the number that's right in between. The median per family, not person, is $1,100 per year. $1,100 per year. Now, again, a disclaimer. Those numbers include students who are members of our church. They're over 18. They've joined the church, but they're in college and they don't have any money. So it includes people like that. It includes spiritually single people. That is, we have a man or a woman who comes to our church, but their spouse is not a believer. They don't, and they don't have full control of of that. It includes people on fixed incomes, all sorts of things. So it's skewed a bit that way. But $1,100 per year per family is the median income for our church. So what percentage is that of, of income? Well, let me give you just some further statistics to give you an idea. And here's why I want to do that. I want us to calibrate a bit, each of us, so that we can then decide what percentage should I set that I'm going to try to give in the coming year and in the years to come. And I want to do that because of what I said. Everybody needs to be able to calibrate, have a benchmark, so that it's not just blindly putting something in and not knowing whether that's appropriate or not. And also because there is a myth in our church. And I've heard it a number of times. It's because God has, in his mercy and his grace, he has blessed our church. Thank God we're here. Thank God we were able to buy this building. Thank God we were able to renovate this building. It's all by his grace to us through his people. I'm very thankful for that. But the myth then is 
Every year, as we look at the bottom line and how God has been good to us, I've heard people say, I can't believe how much this church gives. I'm shocked at how much this church gives. Well, let me give you some statistics. There are 176 households represented in CBC. 176. Of those 176, 119, or 68%, gave under $1,000 last year. 67 of those 176 families gave under $100. That's 38% of the families gave under $100. 24 of the 176 gave nothing. So, we need to recalibrate, don't we? Because... I don't know and I don't care about what people's income is. But as I look at those numbers and 68% of the congregation's families doing less than $1,000 for the year, that's not a very high percentage for most of our families. And so what it means in the coming year for us friends is many of us need to recalibrate. And to say we're going to set a percentage. Our family has set a percentage. Many families have done that. We're going to set a percentage in keeping with our income. And by God's grace, we're going to do that throughout the year. And whatever that is, you should give as you've decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. We do that together. We could increase our giving substantially, which means we could increase our ministry substantially as well. So let's do that in 2019. At the end of this year, I'll give you some statistics to see where we are. The church is concerned with God's value. He's worth our talent. He's worth our treasure. And then lastly, he's worth our time. He's worth our time. The Bible says this, He died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. And so as we start this new year out, I'm asking all of us to ask ourselves, how do I schedule my time? What is most important to me as reflected, not just in my checkbook, but in my calendar as well? Is the mission of the church and the work of the church a priority for me and my family? Now, last week in our second hour, And I encourage you all to stay each Sunday for our second hour. But we're just doing a two-week series. We end it today called Get a Life, Arranging Your Life Around the Mission. Next week we start from self-help to God's help. But last week in the Get a Life uh, message, I talked about this idea of prioritizing the work of the Lord around the calendar of what God's church is doing. Let me just issue one final disclaimer with regard to that. I don't mean to communicate then, and I don't think I've ever communicated, that everyone needs to be at every event that the church does. It's impossible to do for most of us. I don't attend every event that the church does because some of them don't even apply to me. So we're not saying that, but we are saying prioritize the work of the church. Prioritize the services of the church and your service within the church. And if you have children, do that for them as well. So friends, with all of that, he is worth 
our talent, our treasure, and our time. We are resolved to do these three things, to move forward together, to join together, and to serve together. And I'd like to end our time by doing what I did in the first week of this series two weeks ago and reading our 10-year plan to you. Copies of this are available at our information center desk, as I mentioned. But I'm going to read that to you, and then we're going to conclude, Lord willing, conclude by asking the Lord to help us resolve to do these three things together in this coming year. This 10-year plan is in the form of a journal entry that I envision in my own journal. A journal entry for Sunday, September 27 of 2026. That will be the end of our 10-year plan. And so in my journal, a page and a half that I'm going to read to you, I've envisioned where our church will be in on that day in the year 2026 at the end of our 10-year plan. And so I say this. This evening we celebrate our 25th anniversary and our annual celebrate with our annual celebration dinner. We expect 400 adults to attend as our church now has 700 who are members and regular attenders. We're having it in our new auditorium because the gym fellowship hall, that would be this room, will not seat that many for dinner. About 40% of those who've come to CBC in the last decade came to Christ through our ministry as we made contact with them through our evangelistic ministries such as Upward Sports, Christianity Explored Home Study, Discovering God series, Worldview Discussion Sessions, and Intentional Outreach, even through our in-reach ministries for children, teens, young adults, men and women. Others began attending by word-of-mouth invitation, hearing about us through our local cable TV program, through mailers, door hangers, newspaper ads, yard signs, and other forms of advertising. Still others came because they saw our lighted building driving north on Fort. They found material help through our Community Cares Mercy Ministries of food and clothing or spiritual help through our Family Life Ministries to parents, couples, and seniors or via our Community Counseling Center and Recovery Ministries. Still others read about us on Pastor Ken's Church Matters blog. Whether young or old in age or young or old in the Lord, all have been offered opportunity to grow through holistic discipleship that addresses the mind, affection, and will. Each of our frontline ministries has a target objective of either learning, loving, or living, but all at least touch on all three. They have learned as their minds have been fed in children's ministries that have taught through an intentional scope and sequence. Our teens have received thorough worldview training, and our adults have benefited from ongoing Bible education. But each demographic has also been given avenues to, quote, love God and others and, quote, live for his purpose. All have progressed in Christ-likeness on what we call the road to maturity, though at different rates. We've made use of our resource center for articles and DVDs and books as it functions as a not-for-profit bookstore to our members. But all of us have battled sin and its effects, and so many have been helped by our crisis ministries for restoration in order to be put back on the road to maturity. The spiritual growth of our church has resulted in numerical growth, and that's necessitated commensurate expansion of leadership. Our leadership team now is double what it was 10 years ago, and our pastoral team is now at eight, including pastoral interns. Most of those on both the leadership and pastoral teams have been trained in our own men's and leadership ministries. 
One of the interns is training for church planting. The second time that we'll be sending out a trained planter with a group of 50 members as the initial core group. The first plant is in Huron Township. And CBC is seeking God's direction for the second location. In between, we participated in church planting efforts through a network of like-minded churches pooling resources to advance the biblical mission. Two weeks ago, we held our third annual church health conference for pastors and leaders put on jointly by CBC and our plant in Huron Township. We've also been asked to participate in three church rescue operations, whereby CBC provides a team to oversee the church's operation and nurse it back to health. Last year, we had our third foreign missions trip as we visited the Shermans in Zambia, helping with projects at the Central Africa Baptist College there. This morning's message was delivered by our senior pastor designee as our intentional transition plan moves to its conclusion. It's been years in the making. The congregation is alive with excitement and gratitude, confident the Lord has provided the right man to lead his church forward. That confidence has come through a thorough examination of his character and doctrine and skills, and he and his family have spent several years at CBC serving and growing so that the church is united behind the leadership of one of our own. Lastly, we went through a lot to get to this point. Some things we tried just didn't work out. We had to endure the pain of disciplining some disobedient members. We experienced the sweet sorrow of losing some brothers and sisters to this life, but we rejoice that they've gained their reward in the next. We've had to remain steadfast through the latest fads and trends in ministry and the ever harder opposition of an increasingly secular society. But by God's grace, we are now an epicenter church whose faithfulness to the gospel is not only having impact in Trenton and the surrounding area, but in other regions of our nation and the world. God has continued to provide the resources necessary to fuel the vision as his people have stewarded their resources, giving of themselves and their treasure, and many leave a financial legacy for the mission when the Lord calls them home. At 64, I look forward with great anticipation to the Lord's work in the next five-year church Now, I read that again to end our time in this three-week series for this reason. Just to ask you, and just answer to yourself, how many of you are with us on that? How many of you would love to see that happen? How many of you would love to see everything that that I just read come to fruition by the year 2026? It may well, some of it may well not. That's okay. But friends, if you're behind that, if you support that, if you want that, the way for us to get there is on the screen. We move forward together. We join together, no spectators. If you have not joined the church in membership, as I mentioned last week, that's something for you to do. And then we serve together as well. We do all of that. We will move in substantial part to the fulfillment of this vision. And God will be glorified. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you that we could have these three weeks at the beginning of this year to think about these important matters. The mission that you've assigned to your church, the fact that the church is central to that mission, that it does not go forward apart from the local church that you have ordained. And then, Lord, to home in on thinking about each of our responsibilities and privileges in order to move that forward. 
I pray, Lord, that these weeks will, yes, have been convicting in some ways, exciting in other ways, but that all of us will see it for what it is. It's the wonderful opportunity to serve the true and living God, to truly be part of the church of the living God, the living God's church. Help us to value it because we value you and because you are worth it then. Indeed, you are worthy of our talent and our treasure and our time. May we do that this coming year. And as a result of that, may our ministry expand. May we reach ever more people. May our own people grow in you. And we will have more mouths that turn from cursing you to praising you because of your grace in their lives. We'll give you the honor and the glory for all you accomplish in Jesus' name. Amen. And here is your take-home truth, friends. You see it there. The church is the family of God built on the word of God to the glory of God. Let's stand together for our closing song.